Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Come on. That was a good-looking guy up there. Seeds Church, how's everybody doing? Who's happy? All right, I'm looking around. I want you to know you look good. I see Jesus on you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, look right at him, and say, have you lost weight? You look amazing. Yeah, come on. There's some joy. You know what? Now I want you to do this. This seems to be working. Let's turn to our second choice, you know, on the other side. Seriously, turn to them, look right at them, and repeat this after me. Say, I can see you. Come on, say, I can see you in your future, and you look much better than you look right now. It is an honor to be here. Uh, J.D. and Jamie are my friends, uh, Jocelyn, Jelana, Noble. I've known them longer than most of you have, and uh, watching them grow up and uh, watching this church develop and what God has done here is uh, stirring to my heart. Uh, in my church at Res in Loveland, Colorado, uh, anytime we have church planters come in, people who uh, hear that call of God and lay everything on the line to see God do something that has not been done before, to plant a church, to pioneer a work. We, if they'll let us, we take them from kids group to kids group on the weekends, and we say, hey, just so you know, there are still real-life superheroes, people who will step out as missionaries, even in their own homelands, to do something so that people who would never know Jesus, if works like seeds had not been begun, uh, would be able to know Jesus. And so we, we, we fire them up. But I'm telling you, I want the kids in my church and I want the next generation in my church to know that church planters are the real superheroes. So can we just take an honor and thank these guys for, well, come on, for, for investing so much in this area. And uh, as an overseer and meeting Dan Scott, how many of you were here last week to hear what Dan had to say? How many of you know that man has some wisdom? So being able to uh, be uh, connected to great leaders, your trustees are godly, godly people. And the staff that I've met are just incredible people. And then to walk in and have the experience and the welcome. And there are just some really, really uh, deep, godly people that love God and want to see great things happen in this part of the, uh, of the state of Tennessee. And so I don't know if this is your first time here or you've been here a long time, but you're in a good place. And I just want to tell you, as someone from Colorado, but I've been kind of walking with these guys the whole time, uh, you guys are in a good place, and God's got a good plan for this church and for you so long as you're connected with it. Yes? yes. If, you guys give, if you agree with that, give me a good amen, somebody. Yes. All right. So with that said, I want to let you know I'm not just a single guy. I'm uh, connected to the love of my life and our entire family. I think we have a picture of my crew. This is, uh, this is my crew. You have all, all the way on the left is our oldest daughter, Maddie, and then going from uh, to the right there is Sarah. And then my daughter-in-law, who's also named Maddie. Yes, we have two Maddie Wigginses in the family. And then my son, Nathan. And, and uh, then the love of my life, Amy. That's that ugly guy right there. And then to all the way to the right is uh, our son, Samuel. Now, this picture is over a year old. We've taken other family photos. But when I show people my wedding, uh, the, the wedding pictures, people typically say, you're not old enough to have a son who's married. And it makes me feel awesome. So I keep using this picture. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, so that's my, that's my crew, and I also wanted you to see that. That's a, over a year ago, and uh, yesterday uh, we are uh, authorized to go public with the fact 
that in February of next year, I'm going to be a grandfather, so I'm pretty excited right now. Man, I'm happy for a lot of reasons. I got a t-shirt that says promoted to grandpa 2020, you know, February 2020. I got, uh, Amy got a coffee mug, my wife, who says, it says, uh, you're too uh, beautiful or too young to be a grandmother, you know? So, uh, and, and come on, this is, a, this is a cool brand, by the way, this coffee mug. It reminds me of the verse of scripture that says, uh, faith without coffee is dead. Amen. <laughs> anyway, so uh, very, very glad to be here. What I want to do today is just, uh, is just spark a little bit of faith for the future, hope for the future. One of my favorite verses of scripture, uh, we're going to unpack it today. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, my son, who I showed you just a minute ago, Samuel, our youngest in fact, I said, hey, I want to tell Seeds Church a story about you. Would you mind just sending me a picture that you're proud of so that they can see you again, you know, whenever I start talking about you? And so he got into Face App, and he, showed, he, he sent me this picture. So, so this is my 13-year-old senior citizen, Samuel. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was hilarious, but I, he sent it to me, so I thought I would pass it along to you. Um, so Father's Day this year, uh, I was invited to preach in Indianapolis, and and Samuel said, hey, Dad, can I go with you? And Samuel often doesn't travel with me. Normally, uh, Amy and I go, or, uh, you know, a, a trustee or something. I'll travel with somebody always. But uh, Samuel wanted to go this time. Like, that's awesome. It's Father's Day weekend. And, and so we, we structured the trip so we could get there on Saturday. The church where we visited had some Saturday services. And then uh, Sunday morning, so we were able to have lunch and then jump on a plane and get home for Father's Day dinner every Sunday night at my house. We have the whole family over and have an awesome time. And so that was going to be our Father's Day time anyway. So I had the plan in place. Samuel was coming. And, and uh, so we got these four kids and Samuel's the youngest, but now it's just dad and Samuel. So we get on the plane, we fly out and we start hanging out with these new friends in Indianapolis, uh, a man and his wife, the pastors, and then their two daughters. And Samuel, I have never heard a single person talk so much in my life. Samuel told them stories about how he broke his finger and how he almost broke his arm and the time that he fell off of a table and smashed a coffee cup. I feel like there's a theme, coffee cups. Anyway, uh, a little piece of uh, ceramic dug into his skin. He's talking about all of his war wounds, you know, and then he's talking about the time he embarrassed himself in front of a teacher and he just goes on and on. And I'm like, when will this kid let the rest of us talk, you know? But at one point, Samuel says, he says, man, my sisters and my brother, they never let me talk this much. This is awesome. You know? So I thought, you know, he needs this. We're going to let him have this experience. So we, so we get through uh, the weekend and we have lunch with the family, you know, and then it's time. I, I'm like, I'm, you know, that feeling when it's like, I got to get to the airport. And, uh, and so the pastor said, look, we, we were going to drive you to the airport, but we decided to call a shuttle instead. We have some family in, so we're going to leave you. The shuttle is outside. And I, a shuttle, okay, that's cool. So uh, Samuel and I walk outside, and what it is is a black limousine. And Samuel saw this black limousine, and all of a sudden he felt like somebody, you know, like, and... Uh, but it wasn't just a black limousine. It was a black limousine that had some serious uh, damage to the exterior. It had some dents in the doors and some paint uh, uh, chipped off. I got in there. Some of the, those little plastic champagne glasses had been broken. And it was a ghetto limousine is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm pretty sure it had a dead body in the trunk. And so, so, so I'm uh, feeling a little bit late. I'm not feeling totally safe in the Sketchmobile. And... Uh, 
And so we're headed to the airport, but Sam was on cloud nine. He's like laying on the couch part, you know, along the side. Dad, take a picture for Insta. You know, so I'm taking a picture and I'm putting it up on social media. He's having a blast. And, and uh, we get to the airport last minute. There was some crazy traffic stuff. Get on the airplane. And as we're flying home, Father's Day, going to get home, hang out with my family. Of course, Samuel's having a blast. He got to tell all of his stories. He got to ride in a limo. And then the, the uh, captain the pilot uh, makes an announcement. Uh, There's been a slight change of plans. Everybody say slight. Slight. A slight change of plans to me means we're going to be 10 minutes late. He said, we're going to divert our flight from Denver where we were planning to go because that's where, you know, I live near there to South Dakota. That's just a slight change of plans. Now, South Dakota is a fine place, but that's not where I wanted to go. And uh, so I immediately get stressed. I'm like, okay, because the next morning after Father's Day, the very next morning, I was going to hang out with my family that night and the next morning fly to Israel. I'm on the board at some stuff there. So it's like I just did not have time for a slight change of plans. So I'm swiping the, uh, the credit card. I'm getting internet. Now, listen, I am feeling stressed. I'm going to try to find a rental car in South Dakota. And I'm assuming with uh, one plane having a slight change of plans, every rental car in South Dakota will be reserved before I get a chance, you know, to, to get my ride home. So I thought, I'm just going to drive through the night. I'm going to power through, get home. And uh, so I am increasingly frustrated. I'm, I'm uh, reaching out, messaging my wife, hey, help me out, I'll get a car. Now, now, Sam is still just having a great time. He, to him, it is just a slight change of plans, no huge deal. But he starts to see the stress on, on my face. And here I am communicating with my wife, which, by the way, can I just say, we live in an amazing time that at 30,000 feet, I can talk to my wife, I can check the internet, I can reserve rental cars. Come on. I mean, that's, but I wasn't feeling very grateful in that moment. And uh, so anyway, so as we, uh, we land in South Dakota, which is not Denver, we, uh, I, I'm starting to build a plan and I'm just like breathing like heavy, like I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I got to figure this thing out. I take my phone off of airplane mode. I had Wi-Fi on the plane, but off of airplane mode so that I could get regular service. And my phone dings. And I look at it, and it is a text from my son, Sam, who is sitting right next to me. (laughs) So I look at this, and it's a group text to our entire family. And, um, And Samuel texted our entire group, and he said, hey, Uh, We're on our way home, but pray that God does a miracle. We want to get home today. Now, let me just remind you, I am the pastor. (laughs) Like, (laughs) over here. And then, but I'm just frustrated trying to figure it out myself. And then you have Sam here, who's actually expecting God to do something awesome in the middle of it. And then he's reaching out. He's expecting God to do something great. Then he's connecting with the community, and he's saying, hey, Pray, we need a miracle, so let's, let's come together and let's look for the grace together. It was about 45 minutes later that the pilot said, look, this is also unusual, but I'm really glad to be able to announce to you that all we need now is to refuel the situation that DIA is, is uh, mitigated. We're going to take off again. You guys are going to be about 90 minutes late, but you're going to be able to get to your destination. We took off, and just before we took off, he texted the whole family, and he said, hey, God did a miracle, and we're on our way home. And so we get on the plane, you know, we, um, we get in the air, go to Denver, and then I'm able to have family time with my family. I go to Israel, no problem. And isn't it interesting, at least it is to me, 
that Samuel and I went through the same weekend and the same frustrations and the same experiences, but I was trying to figure it out myself. I didn't have a ton of hope. I was frustrated with the people around me because I was wanting my wife to help me, you know, like in that quick moment, like, help me out. I want you to reserve a car, whatever. I'm frustrated. I'm trying to fix things on my own. Meanwhile, Samuel is expecting God to do something great. He's connecting with his community. When the pilot comes over and says, we are headed home, he reflects on this idea and says, you know what? God did that. What I'm telling you is that Samuel made a decision whenever he heard that news that we were going to fly to Denver, that God did that. That wasn't just a circumstance change. That was a miracle. And so he decided then to project and so to, to tell the community, look what God has done and to spread that good news around his community. Can I tell you something? My son that day on Father's Day taught me a message, a lesson that has helped me follow Jesus Christ better. And so really that's my message. I'm really just passing along to you a message that my 13-year-old taught me, right? And so with that in mind, I think of the childlike faith of my son and what he went through and what I went through and how he really got an A-plus going through that test. And I just got to be the beneficiary of his, of his strength, his connection, his faith. And so when I think about childlike faith, here's the verse of Scripture that I want to talk about today. Psalm 27, 13, one of my favorite. <clears throat> says, I remain confident of this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I remain confident in the good times, in the confusing times, in the clear times, the ups and the downs. I'm going to remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of God and that in the land of the living is important because what it's saying is, I'm going to see God do something awesome in my lifetime. I preach so much faster when people respond. You'll get out of here in time for lunch. It's going to be awesome. Okay, good. There you are. All right. And uh, so, so I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in my lifetime. I want to tell you something. My son expected God to do something great in his circumstance. How many of us live this way? I really think the older we get, especially if we've been a Christian a long time, we lose that childlike faith that Jesus says is essential to faith. The childlike faith that says, my father is good, he cares about me, and he wants to do something in my lifetime. Is this good preaching? Come on, somebody. And so with that idea of expect, connect, reflect, and project, this is what I saw in his living example, in Samuel's living kind of parable, if you will. Let me unpack each one of these as quickly as I can. We need to get back to expectation, to expect God to do something good. I want you to consider Matthew, where we see the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Jesus says to his disciples, and how many disciples of Jesus do we have in the room? Okay, so this verse of Scripture is for you and for me. He says, hey, when you pray, when you pray, anytime you talk to God, anytime you go beyond the limits of what is natural and you step into supernatural faith and you connect with the king of the universe, every time that happens, I want you to pray this way. And what does he say? Father in heaven, right? It starts with this picture of what is perfect, what is holy, where miracles come from, like that perfection that is heaven, the glory that is God, uh, the grace that is available, all those things to start at that place that God is good, that God's throne is not shaken by any circumstances that we go through. He is holy. His name is revered and hallowed. So you start there. Listen to me. A lot of us, when we face crisis or whatever we're going through, we start with us. 
And we start with, God, I'm so awesome. Let me tell you how awesome I am. Just help me be more awesome, you know? Or, or man, I'm broken. I'm just, I'm just so unworthy. I'm whatever. Forget about you. Listen, you're great, I'm sure, but you're not as awesome as Jesus. Jesus is awesome. And let's start with who he is. Let's start with who God is. And then say, now, all that amazing stuff that you represent, that love and that mercy and no contradictions and total truth and total grace. Okay, I see that. I honor that. Now I invite that into my broken world. Yes? So what is Jesus saying? Every time you pray, expect God to do something good in the land of the living. God is good all the time and all the time, right? So when we start with God, who you are, we start with ultimate goodness. And Jesus says, every time you pray, pray starting with, I see who you are. Now I'm inviting you to bring that kingdom into my circumstance. Jesus, every time you pray, I will remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm getting happy. I don't know if you guys are, but boy, whoo, come on. All right. So we expect God to do something. Jesus taught us to pray that way. Then we connect. A lot of us, I think, in church, we, we are spiritual superstars, man. We can pray like crazy. But can I tell you something? Christianity is a team sport. And you and I are not designed to go through life alone. In fact, I, I uh, you know, you think about the worst kind of punishment, aside from the death penalty, but in, in the prison system, the worst kind of punishment you can give to an inmate is to put them in a room by themselves. It's called solitary confinement because they're deprived of so many essential things that they need that when they are hardened and unteachable, you can put somebody in a room where they're that deprived and something over time at times, not every time, they begin to open up and say, I just don't want ever to face that again. What I'm trying to say is you and I were built to be connected in community. And Samuel, he didn't just have an expectation that God would do something great. He had a family around him, a family of faith that he could text and say, hey, pray, we need a miracle. I say, I think a lot of us would, would do well to connect with people. Maybe it's city groups here where you connect with people in relationship and you're able to take the masks off and say, look, I'm really going through something right now but I know God's gonna do something great in my circumstance. Can we agree together and, and, and see this grace flow in the situation? How many times in the Bible does it talk about that when two or three are gathered or when you and I confess our faults one to another and we pray together, we will be healed, that we are members all of one body and that every part of us is useful, yes? All right, this idea of us being connected is essential. I think a lot of times in Christianity, people get, they start with that faith in God and this connection with God, but then sometimes Christians get so awesome, they think they're a little too awesome for the rest of us. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep moving forward because I want you to like me at the end of this message, so I won't, st- I won't stop there. But, uh, but we, need, we need each other. We need to be uh, connected. And, and, and guys, in this age of social media where it's like, I don't know how it is in your family, but I feel like uh, uh, people are all in their own separate rooms, are all on their device. And like my son, uh, he's getting whiter and whiter because he stays underground in our basement. And he comes up only to say that the Wi-Fi is broken, you know, and then he slinks back. It's like, that is not social. It's called social media, but it's not social. Yes? God's called us to be connected in relationship. And maybe you have a whole lot of friends that will come running when you're in crisis. 
And maybe you have a whole lot of Christian friends that when they're in crisis, you'll come running. I hope that is the case. If you don't have those kinds of connections, I want to encourage you to connect with the groups here, with city groups here, because it allows you that proximity to be able to connect and care. I'd say, I, I really believe the best way that the Swillies can, can pastor you in this season of your life is for you to be connected with other parts of this body of faith so that they can come running and kind of be that first line of care in your life when you're in crisis. I can tell you as a pastor, one of the, one of the most heart-wrenching things that I face at times is when people will come into the church, but they still want to be invisible, you know? And uh, they sit in the back of the room. Yes, I'm picking on you guys. Nobody look behind you. Just don't do it. It gets awkward real quick. But they, they just want to be invisible. They don't want to connect. And then crisis hits. They're in the hospital or they have a diagnosis. And then they're wondering, why didn't my pastor come visit me? Why didn't anyone care for me? Because we didn't know. And, and even though, I mean, that's not an excuse, except it's just my reality. I, I still am called to care for them. If there's ever an opportunity for me to know, I will come running. But I say it's a whole different experience when people are connected relationally. When they're going through crisis and people come running, and by the time, at least in my church, and I'm, and I'm sure it's the same way here, uh, by the time pastor shows up, they're, they're almost like, hey, uh, pastor, we're glad you're here, but you're almost, you're almost unnecessary. We got this. You know, it's like, boy, what a great feeling to be able to see that care already take place, that prayer, that, that compassion, and then us to be able to come in as leaders within the church and just offer the resources of the church to back you up. I'm telling you, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Single commandment. And he said, I can't give you one. I have to give you two. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength, right? But there's another one like it. Jesus said this other one's like it. Not me. Jesus said this. How many of you know Jesus represents perfect theology? He said there's another one just like it that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says you can't say you love God, but you hate people around you. That's not how it works. He says, listen, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done for me. I could go on. My point is that Jesus teaches us that our quality of love for God is actually evidenced by the quality of our relationships. And so for you and me, it's one thing to have faith that God's going to do something great. But I'm telling you, I want to encourage you, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want to encourage you to connect in relationships with other people who believe in God, who will pray for you, who love you, that you can trust enough. And may, maybe it takes time to build that trust, to take off the masks and begin to say, hey, here's something I'm really dealing with and I can trust you enough to tell you that. Man, life gets so good when you have those kinds of genuine connections. So God's kind of in this moment, me learning from my 13-year-old to always expect God to do something great, to reach out to those in our community. Hey, pray, let's agree together. Let's chase after this grace together. Third, and this is a really important one, to reflect on what we experienced and reckon within our soul that what we just saw was, in fact, a miracle. I want to tell you something. God... Well, let me ask this. How many of you believe that God does the miraculous every single day? All right. I think God does a lot of things that are supernatural that you and I just think, wow, that, that broke my way. That's great. Look, that circumstance worked my way. Instead of saying, wait a minute, that's something I prayed for. That's something I asked my community to pray for. And then it happened. You know what? I'm going to reflect on that. I'm going to make my discernment and say that was God and that was a miracle. In other words, if you and I want to be good stewards of the grace that God pours out, we need to acknowledge that, you know what? God did that. 
If you ask my son, was it just a happenstance or circumstance that our plane ended up in Denver on Father's Day? He would look at you like you were crazy, like junkyard dog crazy. And he would say, absolutely not. God did that. It was a miracle. He made that discernment. He reflected on it, and he decided something. And, and, and listen, I believe the Spirit of God showed him that, which means no flesh and blood, not me, not you, could ever talk him out of it either. To reflect on God's goodness. Revelation 12, 11 says that you and I overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Tell the story. Dads, you wanna know how to be a spiritual leader in your house? Learn how to become a really good storyteller. Talk about your, the time you connected in faith with Jesus, with God for the very first time. Learn a Bible story or two and make it a legend, right? Like, be, be the one who reads the Christmas story on Christmas morning. Like, dads, open up your mouth and start telling the stories that you know. It's amazing how, how easy it is. It just, just an intention to say, you know what? I'm going to tell my children. I'm going to tell my wife. And then moms, tell your families and your communities and kids, tell your friends, you know what? I saw God do something amazing. You guys, come on. The idea of a testimony is how we overcome the enemy. And, and, and I think it's interesting that the spirit of revelation in this book of Revelations, <coughs> excuse me, is saying, if you want to absolutely disrupt the work of the enemy of your soul, it takes two things. The blood of the lamb, well, my goodness, that's something we revere. That's something we esteem. And the word of your testimony. I really think you and I need to start putting a higher value on our own stories and recognize there's culture-building power in it. There's faith-building power in it. I'd say, I feel the presence of the Lord in this place right now. All right, so God's calling us to expect good things. Your kingdom come, your will be done. To connect with people in community. We're part of a body. To reflect. Let me just unpack one more thought with that idea of reflection. I can't think of an example in the Bible I'm talking about the most dramatic miracles. I can't think of a time where faith was no longer required to acknowledge that it was a miracle. So let me give you an example of this. There's a time in Scripture, I don't have it in the notes, but um, there's a time in Scripture where Jesus is facing the cross. And he, he begins to pray in front of his disciples, in front of the community, not just his disciples, but the community. And he says something like this, um, am I, okay, the time has come Okay, meaning that it's time to go to the cross. Now, am I going to say, Father, save me from this hour? And he says, no, it was for this hour that I came. So then he prays one of the most powerful prayers you and I could ever pray. So he looks at the heavens and he says, so Father, glorify your name. Whatever you're going through, that's a, that's a bulletproof prayer to pray. Father, like, I understand this diagnosis has been spoken over my life. I understand this season is going to be challenging. I understand what, what I've heard. I, I didn't expect that bill or that whatever it is. Father, what I ask is that through what happens next, and I don't know what it's going to look like, I ask that you get glory out of this. That is a solid prayer. Come on. And Jesus said, I came for this hour, so Father, glorify your name. And then the verse of Scripture goes on to say, and thunder came from heaven, and the voice of God began to speak so powerfully it shook the atmosphere. And God said, I have glorified my name, and I will glorify it again. And then Jesus looks at the crowd, and he says, 
God spoke for your benefit, not mine. You guys see this set up, right? This whole thing was happening for the audience. Jesus even just flatly said so. This, what you just experienced was for your benefit. I can hear God speak to me in, this, in my spirit, but God spoke in a thunderous way for you. And then it goes on to say, but many of those people thought it was thunder that they heard. God spoke in a way that shook the earth. Jesus acknowledged it. He said that was for your benefit. And people still needed faith to be able to say, you know what? God did that. And so a lot of people in that moment, seeing Jesus himself confirm the voice of the Father himself, <coughs> excuse me, and still walk away saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was just thunder. I think there are times that the voice of God has shaken our circumstances and you and I have walked away and said, that was thunder. It was pretty awesome, but it was just thunder. And God is saying, no, you and I need to be a little bit more discerning to step out in faith and say, no, that was the voice of God that changed my life. God did that. I, was, uh, I heard a story about a woman who uh, all of her life, she was around Christian people and she said, but I just could not imagine. I didn't have the capacity to imagine that an all-knowing, all-powerful God could exist. I just could not have faith for that. Please listen to me. She said, until I had my baby. And she said, whenever I held my newborn baby for the first time, this is, listen, how many of you were born as babies? <laughs> Pretty common, right? That's an ordinary thing for babies to be born. But in her case, when she saw the absolute miracle of this baby, she said, I had to have someone to thank for this miracle of my baby. And that's when I had faith to believe that God was real. How powerful is it that we give God the glory for the miraculous? Yes. It's powerful. So those are the moments that we reflect on what God's done. And we, and we make a discernment. And we say, you know what? When that plane was diverted home for Father's Day, God did that. When that person had a diagnosis and then six months later, you know, they have no pathology, no disease, and there was no real medicine given, you know what? I'm going to go around for the rest of my life saying, I saw a miracle take place. God is a healer. God speaks today. We need to become, uh, uh, and, may, and maybe you are, I guess I'm maybe preaching to myself, but we need to continue in this flow being really good storytellers about what God has done in our lives. And then to project, to project. To expect God's goodness, to connect in community, to reflect on those things when we see them. Was it thunder or was it the voice of God? I'm going to stake my claim that it was God who spoke, yeah. right? But then to begin to project. I want to tell you one of my, another favorite verse that I have. It's Matthew 10, verse 8. It says, freely you have received, then freely give. Freely you have received, so freely give. God has given you and me some awesome gifts. Grace, forgiveness, healing, resources, friendships, right? And all he asks of us in return is that we give everything he gave us away. Think about it. Jesus says, hey, I forgive you. Now go forgive everybody else. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna heal you. Now listen, be the kind of person that lays hands on the sick and you pass that along. Hey, I'm gonna set you free in your emotions. Now be a person that has a story to tell so when other people who are broken, 
they can, they can rest on the strength of the grace that flows in the area of your previous weakness. Hey, that part of your testimony, don't hide that. Put it out there. Because listen, that broken place is probably now the strongest thing in your life to help other people around you. When God gives us something, what he asks is for us to give it away. I, I think about the dream team here, for example. You know, the, the idea of people just on a Sunday morning, I mean early, coming here. I got an amen. Come on. I feel revival now. I got an amen. People coming in to set up and to make it beautiful. And the coffee is like the best coffee in Tennessee. Come on. And, like, and the experience and the welcome and the kids' areas and the tech and the musicians. and It's like these people have come together not so that you can be impressed by them, but so that you and I can connect with Jesus. Yeah. And it's one thing to have some, you know, a couple like the Swilly say, guys, we, we need help. Okay, yeah, churches need help. We need to be the church and to serve our community. But kind of in conclusion, what I want to do is just tell you a story to highlight how much, how important it is for you and me not just to expect the goodness of God, not just to connect in community, not just to reckon in our own soul that God has done a miracle, but then to look for places to spend the grace that God has spent on us. Amen. To project, to shine, to shine the light that God has shined onto us. Story of a guy named Sean. A number of years ago, I was preaching a message, and you can tell I get a little bit excited. You know, I like actually believe this stuff. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, and I was talking about forgiveness, and I was getting really pumped, and, and I was like, there is no, and I said this this weekend, I'll never forget it, a few years ago, there's no such thing as an unforgivable person. God's grace is big enough. That there's no such thing as an unforgivable person. And I said it real loud like I knew what I was talking about, you know? And, uh, and so after church, we went to, uh, I went to an area to welcome people who wanted to meet me or whatever, and this guy came up to me, really serious face. You can kind of tell by looking at him, he had been through a lot. And he came up and he said, hi, my name's Sean. I said, hi, Sean, I'm so glad you're at church today. He said, I have a question for you. Do you really believe everything you just preached? Which, by the way, is the scariest question you can ever ask a pastor. Because it's like, no, I'm just a poser. You know, it's like, I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I believe every word. I believe every word. He said, so you can believe, you believe that you can forgive anyone. I said, I believe that the grace that God gives us is powerful enough to set us free. And then he started to cry. And he said this, I was not ready for this. He said, but what if I don't know their names? And what if I've never seen their faces? And I realized he wasn't arguing with me, he was searching for something. I said, Sean, what's your story? <clears throat> and Sean began to tell me that as a small child, he had been trafficked. He'd been blindfolded and filmed over and over and over. So he didn't know the names of his abusers and he didn't know their faces. And he did not know how to forgive those people. How can I forgive someone when I don't know their names? I've never seen their faces. And I said, Sean, it's okay. God knows their names. 
I said, just don't, don't quit coming to church. I want to see you next week. He started off in the back of the room and it was about three months later, I saw Sean in between the front row and the stage dancing like a wild man. Have you ever seen somebody who loved to dance, but they're terrible at it? I, I told him, Sean, it's glorious. No, don't get me wrong, but you also look like, looks like a bag of squirrels fighting. It's what you look like. And uh, it's just hideous and beautiful at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. It was like, so, so I was uh, standing next to one of my associate lead pastors and I said, I said, what is the story with Sean? I, I mean, he was so like tied up in knots just a few months ago and now here he is so free. And Mike said, oh, here's the story. He said, not too long after you met with him, we got a phone call at the church from someone else, not Sean, another person who had been arrested and put under house arrest for possession of child pornography. And this man called the church. And he said, I, I'm calling Rez because I hear that you love people. Is there anyone who'd be willing to visit me? He said, I'm just so alone. So that request went to our men's group. And Mike, our men's pastor, he is looking at the crowd. And he says, is there anyone who'd be willing to visit this man? We're talking about, <clears throat> sorry, finding a place to spend the grace that God's poured out on your life. Guess who raised his hand? Sean said, I'll go. And he went to this man's house week after week after week. And he said, Pastor, it was like I finally had a face and a name. I said, what did you say to him? He said, well, I went in and I, you know, introduced myself. I, I listened to a little bit of his story and I said, hey, don't, don't have any, uh, this is not a joke. What you're doing, what you've done is terrible. He said, in fact, I can tell you the kind of pain that it causes kids. And he told this man his story. And then Sean looked at the guy and he said this, but that's not the end of my story. And it doesn't have to be the end of yours either. Now listen, I don't know what happened to that man who called in and wanted a visitor. I know that for months, Sean went to him. I don't know his outcome, but I can tell you what happened to Sean. Sean, by ministering, by pouring out the grace that God had poured out into his life, he began to unlock and get unchained and be set free. God gave Sean grace, and all he asked was that Sean find a place to give that away. And you know what? To this day, a week ago or two weeks ago, Sean's story was featured on CBN. He's written a book. And to this day, he goes every week to minister to child sex offenders. I don't know what you're going through and I don't know what kind of grace God's poured out on your life, but whatever it is, I wanna challenge you to look for a place to spend it. Not because Seeds Church needs your help, I'm sure they do, but because if you wanna walk in the fullness of what God's called you to do and to be, then walk in every day expecting God's best. Father, let your kingdom come. 
connected in relationship. Don't do life alone. When God does something like I believe he's doing now, you just wait and see the best days of seeds ahead. And you say, you know what? God did that. That was a miracle. And then recognize that when you and I receive grace, yes, it feels good. It sets us free. It's powerful. But all God is saying is now find someone to give it to. Amen? And I came all this way, invited myself all this way to tell you that the best is yet to come because Jesus is awesome. And I want to dare you to remain confident of this. We will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.